0: Pushkin. Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right. Enjoy the episode.
2: You know, when you're on stage live and there's that whole crowd out there, there's a whole other... Adrenaline, we're we're vibing off. We're playing with Dolly fucking Parton at the Grammys. You got to be in the moment, man.
3: Linda Perry. If you don't immediately recognize the name, you'll know her songs. That last one was a huge hit in the 1990s for Linda's group Four Non Blondes. She's since become one of the most sought-after songwriters and one of the only women considered a go-to producer in the business. She's worked with Alicia Keys... Gwen Stefani, Celine Dion, Adele, and she reinvented the careers of Pink and Christina Aguilera. I met Linda in North Hollywood at the first house she ever bought in L.A. She's since transformed it into a beautiful recording studio. It's one of the most inviting creative spaces I've ever been in. When we met that day, I thought I'd be talking to someone obsessed with writing and producing hits. I couldn't have been more wrong.
2: The level of songwriting is so low right now. I mean, do you think it's lower than it's been in the past? It's to me the worst it's ever been because everything when you have Sony ATV and all these companies signing songwriters that have absolutely that never actually wrote a whole entire song by themselves, but they wrote a third of a top line, there's just something not right about that.
3: It turns out Linda Perry who's responsible for so many hits over the past 2 decades isn't interested in manufactured pop but in creating deep impactful songs that'll last i'm bruce Headlam, and this is broken record So we're talking to you today for many, many reasons. One is that you were nominated for producer of the year at the Grammys this year. What amazed me was you hadn't been nominated before. Were you surprised when you were nominated?
2: Unfortunately, I expected it because of the conditions of the world. Because it's like, why didn't I get nominated before? Like, why this one? And the fact that the last time that was, and I, bl- I could get this wrong, so you can fact check me, but I believe the person who did get the last nomination that was a female was Lauren Christie, but she was part of a team that had two guys in it. So it was The Matrix, got the nomination. Right. She happened to be in The Matrix. So it's not that she got it solely, but it was her and two other guys. But the the fact that the Grammys have been, was it 63 years?
3: Yeah, something like that.
2: That a woman has never won is a bigger situation to Mm me. And and rarely been nominated. And rarely been nominated. So people should be eligible and represented because they're good, not because of who they are. And that's just where I just want life to get to. It's like right now we're in a place like are we really choosing the best people? for the job? Or are we choosing them because we need this race or gender or diversity? And that's where I'm waiting to get out of because it's, I want just people to know that they're just chosen because they're great.
3: I mean, that's at issue and that's the criticism, a lot of forms of affirmative action and all kinds of things. Do you have to go through a period where necessarily something like the Academy says, yes, we have to honor women until you get to that position. That's what I'm
2: trying to say. It's like, I'm waiting for this period to be over right now. Right. So we can just, we all got the information. The cat's out of the bag. Mm -hmm. The bad guys have been pointed out at. Now let's move forward. Yeah. To the real stuff. And I don't want to ever be honored for something that I don't deserve only because I wear cool hats and I'm a chick, you know. I want to earn and know that I I got chosen because I am great at what I do. And I do believe that. But I don't ever want it to be a question to everybody else.
3: But you've been great at what you do for a fairly long time. Yeah. Uh, and there weren't times in the past you thought, what do I have to do here? What's, yeah,
2: you know, uh- I just don't operate that way. Like, I've sold millions of records i've have awards do you see anything in the studio that represents a plaque and an award no And you won't find it anywhere you won't find it in the bathroom you won't find it hidden in the closet you won't find it in the garage Mm -hmm. it's just not who i am i don't base my beliefs on how people see me or by a trophy or a plaque or being honored I've never so it does it slips my mind Mm. you know my my intention is always to just be the best that I possibly can if my intention was ever I want to be I want to win that then I have a personal problem with myself
3: Uh, one of the people who walked through the door recently in this beautiful house turned studio uh was Dolly Parton Mm -hmm. and you hadn't done country music before, I don't think. mm um, Did you have a love of country music or?
2: Um, my ego wanted to take over Nashville about 12 years ago. Nashville was not having it, and they threw me out the door. I have an obsession with Nashville. I've always felt that Nashville needed me. And I wanted to go in there and I wanted to find the Patsy Kleins. I wanted to find the Willie Nelsons. I wanted to find Roy and Johnny and Loretta. Like, where's that? Mm -hmm. Why isn't that, you know, happening right now? Where's those dark, brooding country stars that told these incredible stories? It's like, it all just sounds like Let's think of something that sounds like beer bottles and Jack Daniels, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's, it's like taking the jazz out of jazz. So country music to me, I was brought up and my father loved country music, country music and Frank Sinatra. So it's, it's in my, I mean, I can write, I can write, I can go be country if I wanted to. I make a whole country album. It's in me somehow. So that didn't work out. And
3: okay, okay tell me how you, you said your ego tried to take over.
2: Well, I went to go. I went out there to go work with Faith Hill, and I wrote some really great songs for her. One was like a gospel, and one was a great country song. And she was over the moon. Basically, as soon as I left the studio in the car, her manager called my manager at the time and said, you know. These songs will never see the light of day. They're not going to go on any Faith Hill record. Like, it was crazy. And then I guess people were upset at her for bringing in an outsider. Um, So it was just obviously not a good fit for me. And then so the fact that when this all full circle came back around, what, 10, 12 years later, and I'm getting an opportunity to go work with Dolly Parton, I was like, Fuck yes. You know, I told the music supervisor, Buck Damon, like, don't you dare go hire anybody else. I am the right person for this job. And then um because there was somebody else he was going to look mm-hmm. at that was more qualified, you know? And um because it had to do with like a little bit of scoring too, like being able to take the songs that I write and weave them through the movie. So then I was I had this whole brainstorm like, well, they want me to write one song with her and re-record one old song. And I said, "No, nah, we got to do a whole album. I'm going to get together yeah. Dolly Parton, I'm writing an album with her. I'm doing a whole album." So I came up with the idea to do five redos, like, you know, and get duets, you know. So we got Sia, and I started picking out people that I thought would be a great fit, mm-hmm. not who was most popular, but what would be a great fit for Dolly's voice. And put that all together, and then when her and I finally met and she heard these songs, she was like, "Holy smoke!" I the I when I when they told me you're gonna, I was going to work with Linda Perry. I said, "Okay, I do." She's like, I, I, "You know, I thought you were going to take the songs more pop, and I was going to be fine with that. I wouldn't have said anything, you know, because <laughs> she would not have liked that at all."
3: So, so you wrote the songs, not with her, but no, ahead I of time.
2: re-recorded the songs. The re-records like here oh, okay. I am, yeah, right, dumb blonde. I got in here, the band. I put a, a, a band together that were not session players and they were not from nashville recorded it here had someone sing the parts down for her and then i sent that those are just the the re-records and then when we met and she was so happy with what it sounded like she's like it sounds modern but it doesn't it sounds like me and it's like oh my god i'm just sitting in my chair and spinning and loving this and whatever and she's like so what do you want we have i guess we're gonna write tomorrow and everybody's like saying dolly hasn't written with anybody you know, she doesn't write with people and she hasn't she hasn't written in a while. So good luck, you know, to that. And I'm like, OK, don't worry, I'm not worried at all. So when we met, we just instantly got along and she's like, so, you know, we're going to a in session tomorrow. What, what are you expecting? And I'm like, well, we're going to sit down and just hang out. She's like, well, just so you know, I just, I just don't write with people. And it's been a while since I've written a song. She's like, are you? do you have a number in mind? And I'm like, yeah, I th- feel like five or six. And she just like looked at me and started laughing. And she was like, okay, well, let's just get one, you know. And in two days, we wrote six songs. It was just like bang, 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 bang. We just hit it off. It Literally, she's like a close friend now. and We talked to each other like at least twice a week and she's an incredible inspiration and her talent is obviously beyond belief and her storytelling is that of what I've been missing so we wrote these great fucking songs and it doesn't sound modern but it doesn't sound old but it sounds like Dolly still
3: how did you start to write with her you're in a room with. were you in this room
2: with her no I was in Nashville
3: you were in Nashville so you're sitting down I with mean, her I mean in her
2: place she has a place where she calls it the villa she had her long nails, so she didn't want to play guitar. I just pick up the guitar, and I start coming up with ideas, just like that.
3: Mm-hmm. You didn't? Did you talk much first?
2: Yeah, we talked, and then we just—it was time for to create. You know, when there's time to create, there's no talking. You just go into create. Really? You just flip a switch and. Just flip a switch, and it was funny because the Bob that was in there, he was like, "What are you guys doing?" It's like we're just writing songs, and he's like, "That's another good one." And then we did it again. The so the first day was three songs, second day was three songs. Then she took it and wrote lyrics on the second night to all of those songs. And then by the third day she came and we recorded them down with the lyrics. And then I came here with those songs and recorded them. And then she showed up and then we did the vocals.
3: So she then wrote the lyrics in a day to all those songs?
2: Yeah, and she also came and sang all of those songs in one day.
3: Was she surprised how fast you were doing it?
2: She was surprised, yeah.
3: Because she's written a lot of songs. She's written like five thousand songs. Or something. Yeah,
2: she was surprised how easy it was with the two of us. But then she calls me her creative soulmate. She and I are very, very similar. When it's we have a lot of, we're very the same when it comes to work. It's like we're very hardcore about our work ethics, and and we're workers. And so it was like easy. Writing songs should be easy. You shouldn't have to labor over writing a song. When you're laboring, when you're like, oh, when I've heard, I hear people about working on a song for a week. Like, you've been writing a song for a fucking week? Are you kidding me? It's time to let go and move on, you know? And especially if it's taken five of you to write a song in one week, there's a bigger problem there. And Dolly and I just went, we just had a creative flow and we just took advantage of the energy that was going on. And then she showed up on the third day with all the lyrics and we just recorded it down. It was like, God, these are incredible. And then when I got here, I recorded all the songs, sent them ahead. She came down here and walked in and sang all six songs in one day. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like what? I can't even get a a young artist to come in and sing one song in a day. Dolly Parton at 73 walked in here and sang six very difficult songs in one day.
3: Okay. So that part impressed you that she could. Writing fast doesn't impress you, but singing six yes, songs in a day. Because impresses
2: you. it's you have to understand Dolly, normally a woman loses their high range right as they get older. Dolly is singing all her songs and all the original keys. There's no changing. She does
3: Jolene or coat or any of those All
2: in the original keys. Wow. And that is extremely impressive because, like, I've known artists at 20, and then I see them again at 30, and they're already – they can't even get – in fact, I have an artist that isn't even singing all her songs right now, and she's really new, and she's already dropping the keys down to preserve her voice. Dolly – Dolly's in it. She's a singer. She's mm-hmm. that's all even. She's a writer and she's a singer. She's a performer. She's Dolly Parton. One of the most recognizable people on this planet. Yeah. You know? And she does not take her name lightly. Like she wants to know that Dolly Parton did all this. Mm-hmm. Like it's a Dolly Parton is her business.
3: And she does she practice every day? Does she
2: She's writing all the time. She says that she's you know, I always kid around with her. I'm like, do you really like what do you do out at home? Like, are you you know, cause she's always decked out. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, are you do you go to the store? Do you do you go to a store? And if you do, you know, and I'm and I I'm convinced she has a whole other life. Cause once you take off all that stuff, there's gotta be you can't recognize her, I'm certain. So she'll laugh, and I'm like, do you have another lifestyle going on? And she's like, you never know.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, she also taps into clearly her early life yeah, very easily because Girl to Movies, to me, I mean, it's it's a different period, but it reminded me of Code of Many Colors. Or the yeah, well,
2: wrote. that's what I'm saying. Like Go- Dolly won't write just for a movie. She has to relate to it. So the inspiration was how can I write some stories that are going to be fulfilling to me emotionally and support this film and the characters.
3: But the people you have worked with were very consciously, or maybe not consciously when they showed up, trying to make a a change in their career, trying to sort of push limits. I think of the first Pink album you did certainly the albums you did with Christina Aguilera and Mm -hmm. those are very those are probably your most famous albums is that process different than what working with someone like Dolly Parton who's such a pro uh, when someone else comes in here how do you work with them
2: well I still was changing Dolly I told her I said I'm I'm gonna change it up a little bit you know Mm -hmm. because when you listen to Dolly Parton records there's a lot going on in the production and I told her I was going to Clean out everything. I just warned them. And I said, I didn't want to make this a Nashville country album. I just wanted it to have a cool feel. I wanted it to, the vibe. And um, they were all up for it. And, you know, she has this song called Here I Am that I'm shocked it was never a single. So he, Sia sang it with her. It's such a big song. And it never was a single in the 70s. But I listened to it, and I'm like, well, I could see why. It was, it was just a lot was going on, mm-hmm. you know. So Dolly doesn't need someone like me, but what I offered and what I came in with was giving kind of like a a flip a little bit. Like I just flipped it, you know, kind of just gave her a, a tiny little, not makeover, but more of a like a let's just – Get you a little bit more present into the here and now.
3: Mm-hmm. What were the what were the musical aesthetics you wanted to change?
2: The music was just taking all the twang out and all the, it was like the Nashville out of it because those players are incredible players, but it's hard to get a grip on them. And then there's no feel. It's just guys going in a room and they're clocking in and they're taking their 15 minute break, you know, but guys in bands, they don't do that they work for pizza and beer and they're done until they're done. And the heart of it comes from that. You know, so that was the biggest thing. She heard that right off the top. Like m- one of the biggest compliments I recently just received was, you know, I put together her Grammy performance with that same band and the sound, everything. And after the performance, I did the whole medley, you mm-hmm. know, and Ken, um, and Ken, Ehrlich said that he's never let somebody do that before. So he just let me do the medley, put it all together, and it came out incredible. It was, it was a
3: big hit. Everybody great. remembers yeah.
2: that. So then I'm out in the audience, I'm about to go sit down, and Beck comes up to me. And, you know, Beck doesn't talk a lot. And he comes up to me, and he's all, that was great. You know, really, like, mellow. And I'm like, thank you. He's like, so who is the band like would it be anybody i know and i'm like no he's like are they studio players i'm like no i said they're all from you know and i'm, I'm talking in his le- you know like yeah. this lower <laughs> level and i'm like no back i go they're they're friends they're from bands and he's like you could totally tell that was really great they had a great feel and that is exactly what i was trying to go for is that when all the musicians in that room could hear the difference of all of what you normally get on the grammys and what was even funnier is that they kept calling me the grammys would ask me for the files and i'm all what files like well when you can just can you just send us over the files and i kept on going what files are you talking about you know they're like you know the tracks oh i go no dude this is live Oh, okay. And then I'd get a f- call the next day. Do you, when do you think you'll have those files over to us? The, the sessions. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm going to say it again. We are playing live. There's no clicks. There's no back. No click tracks. track or no, no, none nothing. of that. Happens. We're playing live.
3: At this point, Linda stepped out to take a phone call. So we'll take a break too. When we come back, we'll have more with Linda Perry.
1: Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
3: We're back with Linda Perry. So your background, you grew up, not here, you grew up East, is that right?
2: I grew up in San Diego. I was born in Boston, but I was only one one year old, and then I moved to San Diego.
3: And guitar was your first instrument
2: guitar yeah I just started kind of singing writing it just all kind of fell together and then
3: and what age did you know that was going to be it
2: I didn't so I never looked at it as music I just knew I was different and I was special so I would like do stuff like interview myself at the time we had Mike Douglas and the Merv Griffin show and I'd be on the Merv Griffin show, hey, in my room. And well, now we're going to bring back Linda Perry. Oh, it's so good to have you back, Linda. And I never know why I'm on the show, but I'd be like, thanks, Merv. Oh, yeah, it feels good to be here. And everybody, and I see the applause. I see everybody. I'm doing this interview and everything, but there was no clear understanding of what it was I was famous and on the show for. And then everything that I did was modeled after this, very confident, <laughs> whatever it was. By the way, career. it was it, it was
3: never clear why anybody was on the Merv Griffin. Show. Yeah, I you know, remember right? it was like.
2: And then, and then it got to school, and I just could not. I'm, um, you know, I'm very. Um, I'm not good in school. I'm not good with learning something. Like it's hard for you to teach me something. So I got out of school very early, like eighth grade, but. I kept telling myself this was okay because what I'm going to be, I don't need school. I don't need to know math and social studies and this is going to be of no use for me. Well, what are you going to do, Linda? I don't know, but I know it's not this.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop you right there because uh, as beautiful as this room is, there's is a there's the studio room over there with all the equipment and I'll bet you know that equipment backwards and forwards.
1: Yeah,
2: I had to buy it and teach myself how to do it.
3: Okay, but that it, it is a room that would scare most engineers at general dynamics. Yes. Yeah. But you're able to to teach yourself even things that complicated?
2: Yeah, well, it's really not that complicated once you understand what the, each item does, because everything has a category. There's EQs. Mm-hmm. That's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, you got your lows, you got your mids, you got your highs, and you – just turn the knobs until it sounds good. And then you have compression and compression you get to f- f- play with because you don't got a certain amount of knobs on that one. And so you just turn it, there's thresholds, there's attacks, there's all this stuff and you figure it out like, you know, oh, oh, that's what that does. It was like, I did this album, for Blondes album, which I just can't bear listening to it. It's ridiculously bad to me. The sound, we we are good. You know, the band was a good band.
3: And you still like the songs on it?
2: Kind of, some hmm. of them. But the, so- the sound of the record is like atrocious to me, you know? What's Up was the only song I, re- I recorded. I did that one. So
3: you recorded that
2: one? I recorded What's Up.
3: Okay, so it wasn't the- It, wasn't it was not the- David Tickle. Okay. I
2: recorded that because David Tickle's version was terrible. So you re-record. I re-recorded it. So when I would ask him questions about why does this sound like this or whatever, I would be met with, can't you just be the singer? And let me just be the producer and be happy with that. And then when I'd go to the label to tell them how unhappy I was with what was going on, I would be met with the exact same thing. Can't you just be happy knowing that you're, you know, being involved and... Your voice is being heard and he's going to change some things. I'm like, no, that's not my point. He's not. He's telling me to be a singer. And if I'm just a singer, well, then there's a bigger problem here because I'm not. I'm the main songwriter. I am the singer. But more importantly, I'm the, you know, fronting this band and I have a bigger vision than what's happening here. So anyways. So
3: how, how did you do that? I mean, nobody wanted you to re-record the song.
2: No, I I was miserable with this version because it had a solo in it. He had me change lyrics. There was a marching drum, all this craziness. And so we were pretty much done. We had one reel of tape left. And we said, can we have that? And so we took the reel of tape and I called the plant in Sausalito. It's like, we don't have any money. Label's not going to give us any more money, but we have to re-record a song and we have one reel of tape. Can we come in? And they're like, of course. And so I think our manager worked out some kind of really great little spec deal, whatever, I don't know, but barely anything. They were so supportive of us. Went in there with their house engineer and I sat with him and just started dialing in sounds. I don't-
3: Had you ever been behind a a console before?
2: No, not at all. But I watched everything. So I just start dialing in sounds with him, learning from him. Hey, I'm not liking the way this kick drum sounds. I'm going to go move it, move the microphone around. Are you happy with that? That sounds great. Guitar tones, vocal tone. Great. We get our take. We mix it that night because we're mastering this the next day. So we mix it that night. We're there to all night long, and we barely made that version onto the record. And then when I was telling my manager, I feel like I should get producer on this. My own manager was like, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, they already have the deal. And then I asked Tom Wally. I'm like, I I feel like I should get producer on this. And he, can't you be happy that you were part of it? It's your band. You got it. You saved the day. Like, But why can't I get production? I produced this. David didn't. David's production has a solo and. A dumb marching drum and and it this song wouldn't have been a hit if it was for David. You know, anyway, so that was my first experience. And then from then on out, it was I just constantly asked questions and I started buying gear as soon as we started making money. I worked with Bill Betrell on a solo album and he taught me everything. He taught he said all the right things to me. Turn the knobs until it sounds good to your ears. There's nothing right or wrong. And this is what this does, this, blah, blah. And so I just started buying equipment. And then a bunch of it just sat in my warehouse in San Francisco. And I would look at it and and just started kind of piecing it together. And it took me months to figure out how to put it all together. I mean, I'm talking about 24-channel board, talking about Neve, Prees, compressors, the machine. Mm-hmm. all of it and i just kept going at it every single day until i fully understood and then i got it all in and then i had to call this one guy just to hardwire some things for me That mm-hmm. i was like oh okay i get it i can't make this work it has to be hard hardwired into the the board so like can you come do this for me i don't know anything about that you know so was, was it
3: scary getting up every day and looking at this stuff or no. you just thought that if you kept at it no it would work
2: nothing's impossible.
3: Well, I didn't say it was impossible. I asked if it was scary.
2: No, they're scare, scary. I'm only scared now. I just recently got scared because the more – when you get in family fear, fear starts showing up when there's other people involved. you know. But no, fear and being scared has never been.
3: Okay. What, what fears show up now?
2: Well, when you have a family, you're feared of – fear of like, oh, I don't want anything to happen to my family. I got to oh, take okay. care of them. You know, being a good mom and –
3: but in terms Good of your wives. in terms of your career you didn't have that. No. So when you did your I think your first solo album was in flight, was yeah. that right? Yes. Was that the way you wanted it? Did that turn out?
2: I love that album. That album to me is honestly it's perfection. I love that album. It sounds like everything that was in my head. You know, I sat down And with the bottle of wine and my cigarettes, and just sat at a chair just like this, and basically sang like this. It's very
3: ambitious. A lot of different kinds of arrangements.
2: Yeah, well, that's what was in. That's the album I wanted to make, but Four Non Blondes and the label didn't want that album. Mm -hmm. And I just said, "Well, I'm going to go. You guys can have that album." There was a second album that we recorded, and it was filled with probably pop songs, but I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go, I couldn't support it.
3: Did you, did you start writing for other people and then start producing or <laughs> producing then writing?
2: I'm not it sure. came together because then I was so bummed out when In Flight, the label just basically shelved that record. I was very disappointed. So I just said, okay, I'll go find another way into this little party. I was so fixated with vintage. Everything I did was... You know, on vintage gear, and Mm -hmm. I was kind of a snob. So I moved to LA, left San Francisco. I'm like, all right, I'm out of here. Came here, moved into this house, and turned there's a room in there, and I turned that into my studio. And I called a friend and I said, What's all that stuff on the radio right now? Like, what are the, what's that sound that I'm hearing? And then he said, oh, it's a Trident keyboard, MPCs. People are recording to D88s now and um, and the roll-in expansion cards or programs. I'm like, all right. So I went and bought all that, set it up, moved all my vintage gear out of the way, you know, left up pre's and stuff, plugged in all this shit. And now I just know everything. And Now I know what I'm doing. I know how everything gets connected. And so I'm like, all right, let's see what this shit does. Okay, blah, blah. I get on the NPC, I create a beat. And then I create some other stuff. And oh, here's what are these weird little horns. Okay, horns. Just kind of finding out what all this stuff does. Uh, this needs a wah, wah. I grab my guitar, like on me at this, blah, blah, blah. I grab a bullet microphone and I'm just like, Um, I'm going to think of every cliche I can think of. I'm coming up, so you better get this party started. Get this party started on a Saturday night. You know, and I just start singing this crazy song. And I mean, it happened so quick, but it was just me dicking around, trying to understand what this equipment did. And then a week later, who calls me? This girl, Pink. She's like, left this crazy message and I call her back. I'm like, I don't think you have the right Linda Perry. I just saw who you were and I don't know anything about R&B and I'm not hip at all. And she's like, are you Linda Perry that's saying What's Up and Dear Mr. President? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, you're the right Linda Perry. So we meet.
3: And did you know her stuff at all?
2: No. Well, from MTV, I saw it and I see bling bling ching ching come on and that's why I told her I don't it's not my world so I meet her we instantly connect she seems like a little mini version of myself you know and I play her get the party started I'm like oddly I just wrote this crazy song and I play it to her and she's like great and then she plays it to LA Reed and they're like we got our first single Those were the productions,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: so writing and producing came hand in hand, and then that's what started off.
3: Mm -hmm. But you said you were just—it was a song just of clichés. Do you like the song? I love it. Okay.
2: To me, it's a—it's totally fun. I love it for so many reasons. One, it's so not my style to have written a song like that. Two, it has a lot of heart. You know that song? It's like it's crazy, but it's got a cool vibe. And it's so bizarre. I mean, I have harpsichord and clavs and I got the craziest things. If you actually listen to the song and break it down, there's so much going on in there, but not, you know, but I and then everything was live. Again, nothing was cut and paste. It was like I just played everything on the fly. So there was no punching in either. Like that was the beauty of this track. If I picked up the bass, I played the bass from start to the and there was no. I didn't punch in anything. I was just, I didn't know this was going to be a recording.
3: Mm-hmm. I
2: thought it was just going to be an experience, you know.
3: And how much of that, those original things you did in that room ended up on the final?
2: That was all of it.
3: Really? Yeah. That was it? That was
2: it. So and then- everything her and I did was the final and they were just demos. So I pride myself on doing really great demos. And one of the great things I, I tell people, it's like, it's very, very important no matter where you are. When you write a song and you're going to go demo it, make sure you're recording it great. Just take a moment because you're never going to get that back. You're never going to get that vocal back of writing a song and being in that moment right then and there. You can recreate it. You could try to get that back, but that moment when you write that song and all your heart and your energy is in it, just make sure you record the vocal the best that you possibly can because that vocal, chances are, is gonna be the master vocal.
3: Uh what was Pink like to work with? Did she understand Amazing. that?
2: Really great. You know, problem child, a little rebellious. But it was fun. Like she needed me and I needed her. Like we entered each other's lives in a very interesting time. Ooh. Like
3: what did she need from you? She
2: needed my guidance and my like I'm when I'm with artists, I'm very grounding. I ground people and give them she needed to get out of what she you know, she They were turning her into an R&B artist, and she didn't want to do that. And she wouldn't have gotten it out on her own. So when she and I met, I pulled her out. I asked her, can you bring me your CD collection? So she showed up one day with her big CDs collection, like two big catalog things, whatever. And I just went through them with Bruce Springsteen, The Time. Carol King, Aretha Franklin, Errol Smith, Errol Smith, Errol Smith.
3: And what did that tell you?
2: Well, I said, "How are you doing the music that you're doing? You don't even have any of that in here." She's like, "I don't know. It's where I started. You know, she started in a girl band that was being put together. So oh, there right. Putting, she was in one of those. Yeah, she was. They were, they were putting her together, and everybody was writing the songs and." So sitting with me, we actually, it's like, well, let's just write whatever we're going to write. And there was this one song called Eventually. I said, do you trust me? And she's like, yeah, I think so. And I said, I need you to just, I'm going to play some chords and you're just going to open up your mouth and you're just going to start singing. And she like looked at me like, huh? I go, she's like, how am I going to do that? I go, you're going to do it from your heart. You're just going to close your eyes and you're going to tell me how you feel right now. But you're going to tell me on the microphone and you're going to use words and you're going to sing it at the same time. And she was petrified. So we put headphones on and I just started playing these chords. I found these chords. I didn't even know the chords were going to be. And I just found these beautiful chords. You know, and it's just uh, instantly you're just in this moment. You're just feeling this emotion because that's what chords are supposed to do. And she just opened her mouth and sang exactly what is on the record. Like all those words were made up. That whole take was improvised. Hmm. If so, if you go back and listen to Eventually, you're going to be extremely impressed kid you not. The only thing we added was I started producing up the track and maybe did some backgrounds. But that piano and that vocal was all ad-libbed and it just went. And I got, it was so emotional. Obviously something happened. The trust and the channeling and just opening up and just going for it. That song really, made me very aware of who she is as an individual, too, because of what she was talking about. The whole song is about people trying to have control over you. And
3: Did you know it when you were playing it? Were you, were you thinking, this is it, this is the song?
2: I knew when I found the chords. Yeah. Something magical was going to happen. So she was definitely was great about her and kind of everybody that I work with. And maybe if I can be as bold to say it's me that's making this happen, that all the experiences are extremely vulnerable and open. And I can tell you about this experience with pretty much every artist I've ever worked with. It's something that I feel is extremely important to happen. My job as a producer is to make the artist feel safe and have them trust me And because what we're trying to do is be creative we're trying to do something different. We're trying to tell a story. And it's very important that whoever you're working with feel safe. Because otherwise, you're not going to get that experience you, at all. You
3: make it sound almost like
2: therapy. It's very much therapy. It's, I mean, there's crying. There's vulnerabilities. There's confessions.
3: Mm-hmm. Is that why you think so many of your artists – Yeah, I said earlier – They seem to be wanting to take a different direction when they work with you. Yeah, is it they don't want to? Is is that part of? Is that the result of the way you work? Do you think?
2: I choose who I work with. They don't choose me, but I choose because I have to understand that something, something. I'm going to get something out of this, and it's not hits. I'm not looking for that. I prefer album tracks. I prefer albums. I don't like doing a song for somebody. I don't find any satisfaction in that whatsoever. I have to know that I'm going to be able to have this experience with somebody and it's gonna be real and it's not going to be like, hey, can you write me get the party started or beautiful or whatever. Their thoughts are, I don't work with people like that. I wanna look back at my career And be really proud of it.
3: When we come back, Linda talks about Christina Aguilera and how she gave her the song Beautiful. We're back with more Linda Perry. You mentioned Beautiful. Can you tell me a bit about that song? Because that really is, you've written a lot of terrific songs. That is one of the great songs of all time.
2: It's great because it's just an honest statement. Like, I feel like that song really was the starting of all everybody getting vulnerable and, and making an honest statement, especially having someone like Christine Aguilera sing it. When did
3: you, did think, you write it for her?
2: No. I wrote the song for me. And um, she just happened to be, when I had finished writing it, she was who came in through the doors. Never was intended for anybody. And um, she asked me to sing it or play something when she came here. My studio was here. It's full circle for me. I'm talking like 15 years ago. Mm whatever it was she you know i had my piano and she said i'm nervous and i wouldn't allow her posse to come in or management so mm. that's a thing that i have i don't i don't i don't need your friends to hang out and distract and i don't need managers or labels to come in here and act like they know what they're doing so all that stuff is does not allowed in here so she came in and was nervous and she didn't have her group of people and she's like, Can I love your voice? Do you think you could play something to break the ice? And I'm like, All right, sure. So I just happened beautiful was the new fresh song. And I played that to her and she just instantly was like, Can you record that? I want it want it for my album. And I was in shock. I'm like, it's not a song for you. I don't feel beautiful. You are beautiful. So I was like, let me hear you sing it. So I had her come back like three days later.
3: And Again, by herself, not with her.
2: Well, no, this time she asked if her friend, her friend could come. And I'm like, all right, no problem. Your friend could come because he was driving her. I was like, okay, no problem. So we go in that room and I had laid down the piano. I had given her the lyrics. She, she had, I, sent, I sent her a demo to practice before she came. So I pushed record and literally, no kidding, she, you know, don't look at me, you know. And as soon as I heard that, she's like telling her friend, don't look at me. Like, that's where that came from.
3: Oh, he was in the room.
2: Yeah, he was in the room. And she said, don't look at me. And I knew as soon as I heard that the song was hers, it it just expressed so much vulnerability. And I was like, oh. She's insecure, just like me. You know, she doesn't think she's beautiful. Like a beautiful person doesn't say something like that because the vulnerability in her voice. So I knew right then I was going to keep that. That's the starting of the song. And that she was definitely the right person for it. And that take is 80% the take. And I just went back and punched in some flubs that she did.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: She's such an acrobat with her voice. Did she want to keep going back at it to make it? Oh, yeah.
2: She begged me for seven months to re-record the vocals. And I said, no. And she's like, but I know it better. I'm like, exactly. That's what the problem is. So right before we finalized, went into mix, she's again begging. We're at Conway Studios now. And she's like, please let me just re-sing the vocal. I'm so unhappy with it. It's, And I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll give you a shot. So literally... You hear the beautiful, simple, you know, quartet, mind you, it's a quartet. Sixteen tracks on that song, sixteen wow. tracks. That's all that was used on that song. So you hear this quartet, and then she comes in with a, "Every day, oh, life is wonderful," uh, and then I just push stop. <laughs> She's all what? I'm like, you're already ruining the fucking song, you know. And she's like, you're right. And then that was it. She, really? She got it. She's like, I'm never gonna beat that vocal. I'm like, you know, you're not. Wow. And so finally, you know, I I won. I mean, it's a classic. It will forever be a classic song for her. It's, it's her most. I mean, it it's the her top song. Yeah. And it introduced. A vulnerable Christina. It introduced, like, oh, maybe she isn't just what we think she is. Maybe she just isn't orange tan, and you know, a vocal acrobatic. Like it, it brought an emotion, a relatability. All of a sudden, she is relatable.
3: Yeah, she was. She was a prodigy, and prodigies often have trouble communicating. So that
2: song single handedly changed the way everybody looked at her.
3: Do you think as a producer and a songwriter, you relate better to female artists? Or do you think that that just is simply who you've worked
2: with? I'm where I'm at because it's by design again. The universe is, is putting me in this position because obviously women need me in in this role because there are none. I get a lot of times women being so relieved to be working with a woman, because they've never done that before on the songwriting and production side. But I'm also tough. So I can not fall into the, we're not gonna be BFFs and talk about shopping. I'm a strong woman that is very focused on what it is that I want to convey and I'm quick at picking up people's energy and and what's going on with them, I feel like it's awesome that somebody has a me to come to because I'm safer to be vulnerable. I mean, let's just face it. It's not everywhere. And I'm not saying this about every guy, but guys can be dicks in the studio. There's ego. There's this whole, I mean, I experienced it. Can't you just be a singer? That happens still today. There's sexual harassment. There's, can I just come into this fucking studio and just not be hit on? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean?
3: Is that stuff you had to put up with?
2: Me? No, God. No, people don't want to hit on me. Um, I'm talking about all the stories that I get from these women. Right. It's like, it's a constant thing. This is happening 15 years ago, 50 years ago, and last week. Yeah. So when you come work with me, you know that's just not going to happen. You can come in and we're working. We're gonna get down and dirty, you know, with the music and creating. It's safer. And then I have really great information. And again, there's a lot of women that like that strong male energy. I kind of have that. So it's like you're getting the best of both worlds in a sense, because I can be a dick if you want me to. Right. I'm sure you saw a piece of that from me. And I mean, I'm not all, I'm not a soft person, but I can be. I'm very genuine and I'm very real and I'm very honest.
3: Would the music business be better if there were more people, if there were more female producers, more female songwriters?
2: I don't fucking know, man. I have no idea. That's, I don't, I don't think women, I'm, I'm only speaking about myself and mm-hmm. I don't relate to either or, to be quite honest. I'm Linda Perry, I've always been Linda Perry. And however you want to call that, I don't really care. But I just do what I do. And I think the world would be better and the music business would be better if people did what they really truly wanted to do and not focus on what it's gonna impress people or how many records they can sell or how many followers they can gain if we just did things from a completely different intention that had to benefit other people, how can I write a song today that's gonna benefit somebody? What can I do today that's gonna help somebody? How can I help the community? If we had that, then we would know that in order to help the music community and the Songwriters Hall of Fame and all those things, we need to start having some songwriters that are writing some fucking valid songs. That's going to boost up the community. We're going to have to kind of take some risks here and decide maybe, just maybe, what if, what if everybody's decided to stop streaming? What if everybody decided, you know what, fuck this. My next big wreck what if Adele, Miley Cyrus, Taylor Swift... And whoever, Shawn Mendes, all decided that their next album was going to be on vinyl and only on vinyl. And they were going to sell it at mom-pop stores across the world and Targets and wherever else. And they were not going to release a song on the DSPs. You know what that would do? It would fuck some shit up, man. Mm -hmm. But you know what? It won't happen because they'd be afraid to lose their fan base. Their labels won't let them do it because they're afraid to lose money. Everybody is operating on fear of losing something. And we can't we can't live that way. We can't have a, a successful business when we're all afraid to actually expand the business and grow it.
3: Do you think people it would make people listen to the music more?
2: Well, being the micromanager and the producer I am, I would make sure that somehow I would have hands on it that it'd have to go through my ears first because the first and foremost most important thing you got to make an album that is actually good you yeah. can't just put two good songs on and then a bunch of filler yeah like I'm talking about some old school shit mm-hmm. let's let's get back to the album where it was 11 10 11 songs and they were great there was obvious hits and there was great great album tracks that supported those hits because that's what we're missing right now yeah. you're not forced to buy an album no you're you could just buy the single you put together your own compilations no one's listening to albums and then but then everybody says well albums don't sell but then adele will put out an album and it's like breaks every record out there yeah why why is that
3: huh are they good albums
2: Huh? Adele's record? Well, I, the, this last one to me wasn't as good as the last one. But yeah, I think she makes great records. Mm-hmm. And she's not playing the same game either. You don't see Adele splashed all over the place. She's just doing her thing. And when it shows up, it's quality, it's classy, and it's you want it. But everybody's afraid. Oh, I don't want to be irrelevant, you know, or... Oh, I got to have like record companies or you got to have a single out every week. Why? Because you don't want to work one. We're just putting it out there until it hits. So everybody else does all the work for us. Labels aren't even a label anymore. That's why they're going down and managers don't even manage.
3: Is this why, I mean, you've started your own publishing?
2: Yeah, that's why we are here is really important to me. We are here as H-E-A-R. And my partner, Carrie Brown, we manage. We're a label and we're a publishing company. And now apparently we run events as well too. Um, But we are great. Like I'm a great manager. Carrie's a great manager because we're in it. We are with our artists. What is your dream? Oh, God, that sounds so complicated. Okay, we're going to make it happen. You know, it's like there's nothing impossible. Um, Building careers. We have an artist named Dorothy. She's on Rock Nation. Now, if it were up to Rock Nation, her album would be done. She'd have all her songs singled out in the first month, you know, and it would be like, we're like, "Uh uh-uh, that's not going to happen. We're on two years her album's been out, and we're just about to go into her third single. Like, that's unheard of. And she started two years ago playing to 300 people and now she's been opening for Greta Van Fleet she's playing Woodstock she's selling out her own you know 1500 to 3000 over the course of 2 years because we just kept looping her around i was calling radio stations myself they're like holy fuck why is Linda Perry calling me cuz Dorothy's my I'm, i manage Dorothy they're like holy shit this is so cool you know whatever and they are well what do you need i'm like i need you to play Dorothy mm-hmm just once. That's all I'm asking. Play her once. And if you don't like it, great. The the listeners don't like it, fine. But if they do, then I want you to play her 10 times and then heavy rotation and that's kind of where we're at and so we have artists of all different calibers and we have an artist named Willa that's 14 i found her when she's 12 i've been developing and just nurturing her and making sure she's okay and she's incredibly prolific and extremely talented kid and she came to me finally and just said i'm ready i'm like ready for what and she's like i want you to put me out there and i'm like uh like my little baby you know i'm afraid but then I wasn't afraid because we're her label and we're her manager. Oh, I'm not afraid. We got this. Yeah. If it was somebody else, I would be afraid. That's you know? a lot of
3: work that you you don't want to just keep producing and writing. You want to do all that. Like that's a busy life.
2: I'm a very busy person. But um, that, I have do, all,
3: you, do you work well under those circumstances? Yeah. Everything's I, kind
2: unfortunately, of. Unfortunately, I do. I'm really good under stress and. It brings unhappiness at times, you know, because you're just like constantly working. There's never a break, but it helps me grow, you know, as a human being because it's just like it's so challenging to to, to operate with no sleep and no rest and constant stress. You really are challenged with who you are as a person and how you are to other people. And I have a very short temper but I'm great. I I really do think I'm a really good human being. Do I have a lot of work? Yeah, I have a lot of work to do on myself. And I have a lot to offer. You, him, her, everyone, because I'm vulnerable. And I'm honest. And I'm not afraid to look bad. I'm not afraid to look good. I'm I'm not afraid to be ugly or pretty. And I feel like I'm really happy with how I'm turning out as a human.
3: To hear more about Linda Perry, including her full collaboration with Dolly Parton and a playlist of her greatest hits, visit brokenrecordpodcast.com. Broken Record is produced by Justin Richmond and Jason Gambrell, with help from Mia LaBelle, Jacob Smith, Julia Barton, and Jacob Weisberg. Special thanks to my co-hosts, Rick Rubin, and Malcolm Gladwell. Our Broken Record theme music is by the hip-hop phenom, Kenny Beats. Check out his new album, Anger Management, with rapper Rico Nasty, wherever you get your music. For Pushkin Industries, I'm Bruce Headlam.
1: Every week at Broken Record, we meet with legends of the industry to uncover the meaning behind the music. The strategy and history that separate the good from the truly great. That's what Mark Chaykin does, but for the U.S. stock market. Mark is a creative legend in his own right. He worked on Wall Street for 50 years, invented three new indices for the Nasdaq, and has predicted some of the biggest market shifts of the past decade, including the recent mania in AI stocks. Now Mark says we're seeing a similar shakeup in the financial markets. He's calling this a new dawn for the U.S. stock market and predicts dozens of specific stocks will soar in the next 90 days. You can watch Mark's presentation for free at marketmessage2024.com right now. Again, the link to watch is marketmessage2024.com. That's marketmessage2024.com.